is Rockwaller Jesus. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think I'm on. All right. Do I have to turn this off? Okay. There are many things I look at when I see harvest time. And perhaps the message that God has laid on my heart is not what you expected in the opening session of the harvest. But the Bible says in the book of Galatians that let us not grow or lose heart in doing well, for in due season we will reap if we do not grow weary. But the verse preceding that in Galatians 6 says that what a man soweth that shall he reap, and that flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. We are facing an enormous challenge right now prophetically because we have the emerging of the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to the surface. But we have in our midst a carnal church. And that carnal church is giving birth to all kinds of fleshy activities and sin activities. And you cannot ignore flesh. You must deal with it. And so in the midst of it, as we look at the carnal church, we are seeing immorality in leadership and immorality in parishioners. We're seeing divorce. We're seeing babies out of wedlock. We're seeing abortions inside the church. We are seeing men who have made covenant, covenant uh, commitments to their wives for 30 and 35 years walking away saying, I don't want it anymore. There is something wrong when the church cannot discern what is carnal and ignores it and will not discern it. Discernment is what does God have to say about the matter. So tonight as we look at the harvest time, there are several things that I want to just minister to you in these moments we have together. When God got ready to bring forth harvest, because God's idea of harvest is for people to prosper and for people to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their mind. God's idea of harvest is for people to come into a covenant relationship with him that is so strong, hell cannot penetrate it, and flesh cannot get the final word. Can I talk to you tonight? And in the midst of it, as you look at the Old Testament, there are many things that it would declare to us tonight because there was no New Testament written on the day of Pentecost. So when they gave birth to the New Testament church, they had to go back to the Old Testament church to see literally in the Old Testament what God was and who God uh, said he was and what God wanted to do. There are several things that I want you and I to look at tonight. And if you have your Bibles, I want to talk about the hindrance to harvest. And in the midst of it, I want us to turn to Exodus chapter 3. The hindrance to harvest. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, and yet it was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he answered, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here, but remove your sandals from your feet, for the place you're standing on is holy ground. And he said also, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them to a land that is good and spacious and to a land that is flowing with milk and honey and to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Persite and the Hittite and the Jebusite. And now behold, the cries of the sons of Israel have come to me for more. I see the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. 
Now, I want to ask us a prophetic question tonight. And when I use the word prophetic, I'm not talking about God coming and prophesying to us. But when I ask the prophetic question, I'm asking us, what does God see when he looks at the church right now and he declares that it is harvest time? And what are the hindrances that causes us to bring in a harvest but then end up losing part of that harvest? Can I talk to you? Because there are people who will come into the church, but however, there is something that causes us to lose them and we do not keep that harvest. In the midst of it, I want us to see several things. At harvest time, I believe that the book of Exodus is so prophetic to you and I because God has to go after his people. Can I just talk to you tonight? Because what good is it for us to bring folk in if we're not going to position them properly? And so in the midst of it, at harvest time, God always looks at his church first. Can I, can I just stir you tonight? So he's looking at the church. And there is something greatly missing inside the church that God sees that gives us the desire to want to do it, but the inability to to do it. Can I, can I just talk to you and I? In the midst of it, God now has got to come and grab a hold of Moses because Moses does not understand by revelation a covenant God. We are dealing right now with a society that does not understand covenant. Therefore, when they get saved, they do not enter into covenant. And when covenant has no value to the church, it is easy to break it because it means nothing to us. So now in the midst of it, we are looking at God coming in the book of har harvest time, in the book of Exodus. In fact, many uh, conferences now are stirring us to go back to Jewish roots. And it's not so that we can imitate Judaism. Can I talk to you? But it's so that we can see a picture before us that makes us understand something in the Old Testament that through Jesus Christ, he can establish it in the New Testament. So there is parts of us that will never understand a covenant God if we do not understand the book of Exodus and the Jewish roots that God has put there because he is the God of our fathers, the God of Isaac, come on, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham. He is this God. Now there are five things that I want to just bring to our attention tonight no matter where we are in our journey. Number one, in the book of Exodus, it's obvious that God's got to save his people again. Okay, can I just talk to you tonight? Because see, I'm determined that I've been through too much hell to miss heaven. So God had to come down in the book of Exodus and save his people again. Not only did he have to save them, he had to deliver them. And not only did he have to deliver them, he had to redeem them. But he not only had to redeem them, he had to restore them. We call it restoration. Now, restoration comes from a Hebrew word that literally means to inquire of God so he can resolve something so that in the resolving of it, he can renew us. Come on. So you cannot be restored and I cannot be restored without inquiring of God so that he can resolve an issue so that after he resolves it, he renews me and places me properly in who he is. So in the midst of it, I want us to look at the book of Exodus because these are God's people that he is going after. These are not heathens. These are not people involved in demonic activity and witchcraft and things that we think of the occult. But these are people that somehow got such a mixture in their life, they were serving God, but they were not free. Come on, I I'm looking at the church right now. And I want you to know there's a great burden on my heart from the power of the Holy Spirit that we have a church that loves God and that serves God but does not know the freedom of God. So in the midst of it, now God is going to come down in the book of Exodus. They have been in this trap for 430 years. 30 years is the time of Joseph's reign. And then they rose up a king that did not know Joseph. And so for an additional 400 years, past the 30 years of Joseph, they are in captivity. Now let me just talk to you tonight. It is easier to set a heathen free than a church member. 
Come on, because see, heathens know they're full of hell. Come on. Now, I, I know we could go into a theology thing tonight. Can Christians have demons? Are they oppressed, depressed, possessed? And my answer to can Christians have a demon is as simple as this. Yes, if you want one. Now, stay with me just a minute. Because God now is going to come after them. We're looking at harvest time. God is looking that they are sowing under the Egyptian system. And the sowing has reaped something that God sees. God sees that they are afflicted, that they are suffering, that they are crying. It doesn't take you long to be a member of a church and hear the suffering and crying and affliction of church folk. And God looks down and he sees the fruit of that thing, so he has to come and deal with it. In the midst of it, God now is going after him. Why? I, I just want, to, want you and I to understand at harvest time, when God comes after the church in such an incredible way, there are three things that he is looking at. He wants a church to love him, and he wants a church to serve him. There is no question in my mind that Christians who sit in a church love God. And there's no question in my mind because we saw the demonstration here tonight in praise and worship and instruments and dance and all that went on that we want to serve God. But the third ingredient was missing because God doesn't just want a church that will love him and serve him. He wants a church that will be loyal to him. And the word loyalty is almost missing out of our society. It is almost a foreign word to people because we are no longer loyal. And God wanted them to be loyal to him. Number two, he wanted a witness to tell that there was no other God that was true and living but Yahweh himself. That there is no other God but this God. And that it, you have to be a witness that it's him and him alone. Now please hear my heart tonight because when you come to death as close as I did, I want you to know I fear more finishing my course and being obedient to God than fearing church folk. Come on. Listen, when you raise nine teenagers, church folk can't give you any kind of look that'll scare the hell out of you. Now just stay with me a minute. Because I want us to hear this. I love President Bush. I pray for President Bush. Whether you voted for him or not, you are to pray for the President of the United States. But on 9-11, President Bush called a prayer meeting after 9-11 and called every God that he could think of to be politically correct. And we had a prayer meeting from Muslims, from Jehovah Witnesses, from every kind of denomination, from Buddhists, for everybody stood there and gave their prayer up to God and then appeased our conscience. Come, come on church because I'm pushing for something. Appeased our conscience by ending it with Billy Graham to try to convince us that God despises not mixture. And what we declared in our nation is we really don't believe in the one only true God. And in the midst of it, now God is coming after them because they have to be a witness that there is no other God. He wanted the people to demonstrate truth and life and salvation. And so in the midst of it, now God is going to sit out to save and deliver his people. Why would God come at harvest time and talk to us about the hindrances of harvest? Because I believe that God wants us to understand as long as there is bondage in our life and mixture in our life, we may serve God and we may love God, but we will not honor God. Come on, because honor is when God delivers us. And so in the midst of it, now God is going to come down and deliver his people. Now, I want you to know, I believe I need a delivering God. Come on. See, I really believe I need God to come into my life and deliver me. I believe I need to get saved today. Come on. And if I breathe tomorrow, I need to get saved again. Because salvation is a continual word that says, you don't do very good without a Savior. 
So I need to understand this interacting word of salvation. I want us to understand that no matter how bad the circumstance is, he is a delivering God. I, I, I don't care how long the circumstance has gone on, he is a delivering God. I don't care how severe the pain is, he is a delivering God. I don't care how frightening the news may be, he is a delivering God. And God will deliver because of the word we just read, I am a covenant God. Therefore, when I see that you cannot fulfill my greatest expectations for your life, I must step into the situation and break the stronghold and save you and pull you out from where you are so I can position you where you were meant to be. Now, I don't know about you. I refuse to stay where I am. And I refuse for religious spirits to tell me everything's hunky-dory when I know the dory's hunky. I'm trying. Would you pray for me? <laughs> now, God doesn't have a problem. Can I have an amen? amen? Just turn to your neighbor and say, God doesn't have a problem. <laughs> say, God does not have a problem. In fact, he is the only one in this room that is problem-free. <laughs> Come on, just smile at your neighbor and say, amen it. Because I rode down here in the car with you and listened to your problems. <laughs> See, God doesn't have a problem. God has a plan. And God is wanting at this harvest time to deliver us from the hindrances that cause us not to execute God's plan. There are several things that I want to say to you and I tonight. We, we hear the buzzword purpose. We hear the buzzword destiny. And many people will serve a purpose in their life, reach a destiny, which is a goal where I left here and ended up here. But the end result is not purpose and destiny. The end result is God's plan executed in the earth. And so we have very little knowledge how to cooperate with God so that we can fulfill his plan. I love women of the word. I had the privilege of serving women of the word for a number of years. And, and in the midst of it, we, we wanted purpose to be fulfilled. We wanted destiny to be fulfilled. But the real truth is, after every conference, we'd look at each other and say, praise God, he did something. He was wonderful. It was glorious. The purpose of God, people got saved. People got filled with the Spirit. People got healed. But in the midst of it, God has a plan for women of the world. And see, you can't fulfill God's plan without cooperating with Him. Okay, come on, just turn around to your neighbor and say, He's going to get you before this thing's over. Now, stay with me. In the midst of it, God looks down at Egypt. Now, when God looks at the church, when I look at the church and God says, see what I see. I see they love God. I see they serve God. I see they want to bless God. But in the midst of it, there is affliction and suffering and sorrow. There are continual areas that we have to deal with. There, 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 are, there are things that literally cause us great pain. God saw their pain. And in the midst of it, you cannot effectively be a laborer in the field if you are oppressed and depressed and in pain and in sorrow and hurting. Come on, how many of you know that's not going to make a good laborer? So God comes down to them because he wants to deliver them. Now, can I tell you what a delivering God is? The thing that he looks at and says, you messed up so bad, I'm not going to let you out of it until you realize you can't fix it. Come on, I'm not going to let you fix it this time. I don't care how you shock a bock a bow tie. Come on, I, I don't care how you get your tutu dancers going. You are not going to fix it this time. So God has a way of bringing us to a place where he says, let's see how bad it has to get before you realize you need a delivering God. Amen. Now, when you're in intensive care, 
It doesn't take a rocket science to know you need a delivering God. I'm laying in intensive care. I've got one of those hospital gowns on where all your glory shines. I hate those things. And I'm laying in intensive care and they have a, a fibrillator on me because my lungs are not working right. I've got IVs in both arms. They're trying to clear up my lung that is trying to fail on me. So they're giving me medicine that causes my sugar count to go over 800. So they're shooting me with insulin every 30 minutes to try to keep me from going in a coma. Now, you are a stupid Christian if at that moment all you can do is bind hell. Oh, come on. And you know why I want to say that? Everybody across the nation has shock a and bound hell. And I'm laying on my back. Come on. How many of you understand? There are some things that God won't deliver you out of it until you understand where your covenant is with him. Because, see, desperation will force you to know where your confidence in God lies. Now I'm laying there, three demons come into my room. I wish I could tell you angels came into my room, flew around my room, and glory was there. But three demons came in my room, stood at the foot of my bed and said, you're not going to live, you're going to die. Second one said, you're not going to live, you're going to die. Third one said, you're not going to live, you're going to die. You know what frustrates me? Hell can get in agreement, but we can't get the church in agreement. Why? Because hell has a plan. Come on, can I talk to you? Hell has a plan, and they are determined to execute it. So in the midst of it, I came in agreement. I said, I'm going to die. I mean, this is it. I'm going to glory. I'm going to die. I was perspiring. And all of a sudden, something whispered in my ear and said, who will you believe? Because, see, where faith is challenged is when you can't change the facts, but you still have to believe he's bigger than the fact. Amen. See, I have confidence in the harvest time of the church to come forth because Jesus made a prophetic promise. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It, it won't work no matter what hell does. So I know that I can go to bank on that. So I just scooted my little tush. That's a faith statement. But anyway, I scooted my little tush over to the side of the bed. And I was just hurting so bad. But I knew I had to move from where I was even if I couldn't get up. See, deliverance in harvest time will make us refuse to stay where we are. Even if it's just a slight move over that we know God can get us out. And in the midst of it, God began to just minister to me. And I began to, you know, just quote scriptures. I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And, and I shall not die. And, and they called the psychiatric water on me. Because, see, you're not ready for deliverance until somebody in the church thinks you're crazy. And they call the psych ward on me, and I have a degree in psychology, so I knew what was going to happen. And in came this little guy, you know, with his little pad and his little pencil, and I knew he was fixing. He says, are you hearing voices? I said, I sure am. <laughs> he looked at me, and he said, do you hear them often? I said, all the time. <laughs> he said, well, do they make you do things? I said, certainly. And so about 30 minutes into this conversation, I was analyzing him, and he promised if I would behave, I wouldn't go to the sixth floor. Now, stay with me just a minute. What stirred the heart of God when he looked at harvest? Because, see, God loves the lost. There is no question about it. God is going after the lost. There's no question about it. But what honor does it give God if the lost is saved and we bring them into the church and they get lost again because we don't know how to deliver them from where they came out of? 
Because we have people in the church that love God, but they end up in pornography. In fact, I talked to Jack Hayford at a conference. I was with him the other day, and Jack Hayford said to me, my number one counseling right now is pornography on the internet with pastors. Well, what good is it if we have the same problems in our home and we don't know how to resolve them and they are the same as the heathens? I believe God has a plan at harvest time. Now stay with me. God is going to bring Moses to this burning bush because number one, he has got to hear who God is. The problem with the church overall is that we know what God can do, but we don't know who's doing it and why he's doing it. We need to know who God is and why he's doing it. God now is going to speak to Moses and call him out of the bush. Why? Because until you hear the voice of God, you won't surrender to God. And when I don't surrender to God, I have a problem with obeying the God that I say I love. Oh, come on. So Moses has got to come and surrender to God so that he can obey God and that he proves to God that out of his obedience, he is going to be sent to deliver and to save. Now, I look at the church right now at harvest time, and I see people that are oppressed. They've come out of divorces, and they know God has forgiven them, but there's still an oppression of failure on them. There's oppression of abuse. There's oppression of betrayal. I look at the church, and I see people that lose loved ones, and they never know how to process grief properly. And they don't know how to believe for a promise from God that he can take them out of grief and restore them again into life. I see people that, that are in poverty that need to know that God wants to deliver them out of poverty and bring them into prosperity. I see people that are lonely and God wants to deliver them so that they know that in that deliverance they don't have to be lonely ever again in their entire life. If they're just only the one person in the room, they'll never be lonely. I look at people that are tempted and they end up failing and entering into sin. I look at people that are in bondage and now God will come and speak to Moses. My cry for harvest time is that we return to the fire that's in the bush and hear the voice that calls us so that we can know a delivering God so that God can set his people free. Come on, not just lost people, but his people to be set free. Stay with me just a minute. Moses hears the voice of God. Now, there are several things that I want to say to you and I tonight as I close. Number one, as he stands at the bush and the voice comes, it will bring him assurance that when hell comes against him, God is for him. See, I want you to know right now, the heathens are raging over America. Come on, I don't know what it's going to take to get our attention of how the heathens are raging. 9-11 came and we looked at it as a terrorist act. But in essence, it was Psalms chapter 2 where it says the heathens rage against the king of glory and against his anointed one. Listen, the church should not have looked at 9-11 as a terrorist act. It was a sacrifice to a foreign god that released international demons and built an altar We have more Muslim temples being built right now since 9-11 than in the entire history of America. Why? Because international demons were sacrificed to. Come on, and it was a religious act. You can't fight international demons like you fought. I bind it in Jesus' name. Come on, we've got to get some strategy from God. 
Moses is going to stand there and he's going to get assurance from God. But he's going to get strategy from God. He's going to get confidence in God. He's going to get security in God. He's going to get power from God to deliver. He's going to take him out of sin into righteousness. He's going to take him out of bondage into liberty. He's going to take him out of death into life. He's going to take him where they're hungry. He's going to fill them. He's going to take him out of hate into love. Out of war into peace. He's going to come after them in such a way. Now, God needs to deliver me. See, I found out that when my flesh is in operation, there is no doubt I'm going to sin. And there's no doubt that after I sin, I may not commit immorality, I may not become a lesbian. Somebody amen it. I I, I may not be a murderer. But sin just gives over to the flesh. I get angry. You irritate me. I'm lazy in my prayer life. I'm not consistent in the word. I let emotions and feelings rule me more than what's right and what's wrong. And in the midst of sin, it leads to disobedience. In the midst of disobedience, it ends in distress. In the midst of distress, it ends in doubt. And in the midst of doubt, it ends in death. Now, let me walk with you just one minute. I want to come down there. See, I'm after the church tonight at harvest time. I want to see salvation. I want to see our loved ones saved. I have people in my family who have yet to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want to see that. But I understand when heathens begin to rage in our nation, God's only solution to execute His plan is His church. So we are seeing a bumper crop right now of carnality inside the church. My God, listen to me tonight. There is something wrong with the church when a man can commit immorality and divorce his wife and stay behind the pulpit and a church pack out of 5,000 and he can get on TBN and nobody even questions it. Come come on, church. We need to wake up. There's something wrong with that. There's something wrong when a ministry tries to live godly and pursue righteousness and keep integrity and morals and they struggle financially and they struggle in their ministry and yet a lot of these that are having drugs and alcohol and homosexuality and stand behind a lucrative ministry where millions of dollars are pouring something's wrong about the picture There's something drastically wrong when you have a woman of righteousness in our government and yet in our government we see all kinds of unrighteous things going on. And we don't have the power to change it. Now God has got a hold of Moses. Let me just say several things to you before I close tonight. Number one, Moses is keeping the sheep of Jethro, his father-in-law. And God wants to see, can I get you out of your monotonous church routine? Come on, every day he's there with Jethro's flock. Every day it's the same old thing. Every day he waters them. Every day he feeds them. He's in a monotonous rut. And God understands this. Church folk that get in a rut cannot go after what is bound up. So God will always challenge us. Can I get you out of your rut? Now let me tell you, your answer better be yes, because I, I didn't say yes to God, but when God put me in intensive care the second time, my answer was Y-E-S, and can I have a light show and let you really know I mean yes. Yeah. 
Where's your prayer life in a rut? Where's your concept in a rut? Where's your teaching coming from? Where's your preaching coming from? Where's your prayer life when you bow down? Where's your worship? Where's your praise? Is it the same old rut? Same old rut? Same old rut? Hallelujah. Same old dance. Same old thing. God looked at Moses and said, Boy, i got to get you out of your rut. And when I get you out of your rut, I will reveal a God that you can never see as long as you're in your rut. Now stay with me just a minute because I'm talking harvest. Because, see, my dad was a, har- was a farmer. And you know what's incredible about harvest? You have to bring it in when it's ready to be reaped or it'll rot. Come on, it's no good. Come on, and Jesus looked down and said, one of the major problems, and our sister read it, was that laborers are few. Now, stay with me. Moses turns aside. God waits to see if he will turn aside. See, we want a move of God, but God's waiting for us to move towards God. Yes. That's right. That's it. See, I want God to move in my church. I want God to move in my ministry. I want God to move in my children. God literally looked to see, Moses, will you move from where you are to where I am? See, I'm here to tell you, at harvest time, God don't go after leaders. God goes after people that will turn aside. Moses decides to turn aside. The minute that God saw him turn aside, the Bible says, God opened his mouth, Sister Jackie, and called him by name. Can I tell you, we are in a crisis right now of hearing the voice of God, and the voice of God is not going to come like the rotty tot doo dob dee dilly dilly thing that we've had in the past. God wants some folk turning aside so that he can speak to them one-on-one. See, as long as we hear God through somebody else, come on, we're not going to effectively line up with God's plan. We've got to hear God for ourselves. Moses, Moses, isn't that incredible? God knows your name. I don't know half the people's names. I'm so glad we're charismatic because we can say, Hi, sis. (laughs) How you doing, bruh? What we're really saying is, I don't know your name. God knows our name tonight. Moses. Moses. Now listen, because I want to break it down to position us tonight to remove hindrances that limit the harvest so that we can step in and position ourselves for the greatest harvest that God is about to do in the earth. I just got out of school. I made myself a promise. I will never do that again. (laughs) Took me eight years. Had to get a tutor. Do you know how humiliating it is when you're 68 years old and the dean says to you, you need a tutor? (laughs) Content right, sentence structure in English, horrible. And when you're going for a PhD, they mark off on your structure and your English. They don't care how much content you got. So I went to brain train. You know how humiliating it is to go to brain train? Every student in brain train hit me from my waist down. Lady, I filled out the paper. The lady said to me, Jim, sit in that chair right there across from that room. When that student comes out, that's your tutor. I said, okay. I'm sitting there. 
All of a sudden, the door opens. This little boy, June, I wish you'd have been there. You'd have cracked up. But this boy came out. His eyes were as big as, as frogs in a hailstorm. He looked at me. He said, holy shamoly. He said, are you going in there? I said, yeah. He said, I ain't ever getting out of here. <laughs> you know what that's called? Revelation. <laughs> now, here's what I want to say to you and I. It was humiliating. It was embarrassing. I was amazed at the gaps in my English and sentence structure. I was amazed that I had to go back. But to pass the test, I had to get a tutor to fill in what was missing. The Holy Spirit is a tutor in harvest time to remove and make you aware of this is the hindrance, this is what's draining your strength, this is what's disfocusing you, this is what's weakening your commitment, this is what's going to be a snare trap if you don't deal with it. The Holy Spirit comes, and my question is, is the church going to be so arrogant and full of pride we refuse to go back to school? As embarrassing as it was, I passed, I passed, I passed. I walked across that little stage. I wasn't at the top of the class, but I passed, I passed, I passed. Had to give me a diploma, I passed. God's coming to Moses. Why? Listen to me, church. He's a fugitive and a murderer. He dug a hole in Egypt. He didn't want to deal with his issues and it was hindering him and God knew the only thing that would break the hindrance was a revelation of Yahweh, a covenant God who is and will always be. Pull your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. It wasn't holy because the bush was there. It wasn't holy because a voice was coming out of it. It wasn't holy because fire was there. It was holy because God was fixing to give him a revelation and listen, unlock and reveal himself. When God stood there and said, I am a covenant God, he undoes this thing, stands before Moses and said, nothing is hidden from you. This is who I am because I send you. Now listen to me. It's hard to bring a people out of bondage if you don't know by revelation who this covenant God is. Covenant. I will always have covenant with Jim Jackson. My covenant isn't based on a position in this organization. When my time was up and we were both in agreement, I stepped out of the way so that I wouldn't hinder God's plan. See, you can step aside if the object isn't for you to be seen and heard, but for God to be seen and heard. Yes. But it didn't break my covenant with Jim. Sometimes he wished it had. <laughs> it didn't break my covenant with Jim. God wants Moses to understand that you cannot know a deliverance for the church if you don't know the principles of a binding covenant. There is the blood covenant that saves you and the blood covenant that forgives you. There is a salt covenant that makes you know God is your friend. 
There is a sandal covenant that takes place in Exodus 3 where Moses takes off his shoes and that covenant brings total restoration because what it, you see it in the book of Ruth where Boaz redeemed Ruth by the sandal covenant. See, when you see covenant, it's not just being born again, but there are all kinds of expressions of covenant. There's a peace covenant where God comes and just absolutely overtakes you with His peace. And no matter what the obstacle is, it can't mess with your mind. It can't make you be defeated. It can't bring confusion. It can't defocus you. You know that the God that called you said, you're coming through. You don't need a bunch of prayer people around you and tutu dancers and Please hear me, I'm not against any of that. But they just strengthen you. They don't give you your confidence. Your confidence comes because Yahweh uncovered himself. Yahweh said, this is who I am. Can't leave you in bondage because this is who I am. I can't have mixture in your life because this is who I am. I can't have lack of consistency and lack of discipline in your life because this is who I am. Now stay with me. I love a bumblebee. We got bumblebees in Texas. And see, bumblebees, they're my favorite little animal because they're not supposed to fly. Their, their body is too big for their wings. But the problem is, the bumblebee doesn't know it's not supposed to fly. <laughs> so when God created the bumblebee, he said to the bumblebee, fly. So now all these science, all these aromatic people, they measure him off and say, you're not supposed to be doing that. And the bumblebee said, but he told me I could fly. Now you know what's incredible? The word that was spoken to him is stronger than the fact. So I'm here tonight to tell you that God wants to deliver us in harvest time. Why? Because we're destined to fly. Come up, fly to heavenly places. I love Isaiah. He said, the day King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And he said, no matter where I saw him on his right side, they were crying, holy, holy. And if you went on his left side, they were crying, Holy, holy, on his backside, holy, holy, on his front side, holy, holy. Why? Because in a covenant that Isaiah saw as he was seated upon the throne, he was a holy covenant God. And no matter how you viewed him, he was holy. You couldn't change him by your doctrine or your favorite teaching or exegesis and taking something out of content. He remains holy. Amen. Why? Because he's covenant. You know why that's important? Because he said, we are holy. So at harvest time, God wants us to fly. Now let me close. Paul, come pull me out. Son. Remember David. David was this man whose father sent him down to check up on his brothers. You could preach this better than me. <laughs> but he went down to check up on his brothers. And a Philistine giant by the name of Goliath, who was nine feet, four inches tall, was standing there. And he was challenging the army of Israel. And he said, listen, I want to know who will step forth to represent God. And the Bible said all of Israel was paralyzed. Nobody would come forth. And David was the only one who discerned how can an uncircumcised Philistine paralyze the church? That's my question. How do uncircumcised Philistines 
keep dictating to the church. Now stay with me one minute. Goliath said these words, If I kill you, you will serve me. But if you kill me, we will serve you. And David looked and said, I'm going to represent God. Church, I'm here to tell you in this last hour, I don't care if I go down. I don't care what happens to me. I am determined. I am going to represent a holy covenant God. A holy covenant God. Not just a God. Now, to represent the army, you had to be born into the family. You had to have the bloodline. And you had to be born into that family. The characteristics of you had to represent the family you represented. And because David's DNA matched and his face represented how he was born into the family match, he came in to reinstate what hell said could not be broken. Stay with me just one minute. Jesus, the Son of God, could not have challenged hell had he not looked like the family. So God wrapped him up in dirt. Come on, church. Because he couldn't challenge the bondage at harvest time or come against what was hindering God's plan had he not took on the characteristics of the family. Yet his DNA matched his father. Y'all ain't hearing me. So God wrapped him up. Come on. It wasn't so that he could suffer and feel like. No. He was going to reinstate what the enemy had stolen that declared to us that we cannot be holy people under a covenant of a holy God. So God wrapped him up in dirt and put the blood in there, the DNA match, and he stood there and every uncircumcised Philistine thing that wants you to serve it and not be free from it, he challenges it tonight. You can be free. You can be free from a lying spirit. You can be free from addiction. You can be free from compulsion. You can be free from generational curses. You can be free from guilt and failure. You can be free from abortion. You can be free from incest. You can be free from lesbian. You can be free from homosexual. You can be free from jealousy. You can be free from prayerlessness. God has come and whom the Son sets free. It's free indeed. God wants us to know we don't have to line up with a carnal church. Because to be carnal minded is death. But God has brought us in. For I would even comfort and encourage you both tonight, you see. For you have taken the stand that God is talking about, you see. But few want to come and surrender indeed. And you said, God, how long will my labors be in vain indeed? But I tell you, if you do not become weary in well-doing indeed in due season, you will reap and you will see a harvest that your hands cannot contain indeed. And you will call for other laborers to come and set people free. For I tell you, this is a place of restoration indeed. It does not have the numbers and the acclimates of men and the praises you see, but God applauds this night indeed and says, be faithful and stand firm in my spirit indeed for the best is yet to come if you faint not you see for there is a harvest that will cause great joy in your heart indeed for the Lord has called you faithful and remain and see hallelujah 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 I don't want to labor long but I want every leader and every pastor in this room to stand to your feet. If you're a pastor or, or in the five-fold ministry or a leader, I just want you to stand for just a moment. I want to come up here just one minute. Then I'm going to turn it over to Betsy.
the hour is late. But I'm here to tell you the hour is late. Our enemies are fixing to rise up with great fury. And God wants people in the labor field to be free. I want to pray a blessing over you. And I want to say to you, you can do it. You were called to do it. God didn't call what he didn't believe in. God called Moses, and I'm telling you, we can do this thing if we return to the Lord. If we seek the burning bush again, if we turn aside again, if we let him empower us again. The next time you feel God can't use you, would you just remember this? Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abusive. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep at the prayer meeting. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was a whore. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And remember the favorite, Lazarus was dead. Could you extend your hands towards these leaders? Father, I pray tonight that if it means turning aside again because routine has become a rut then Lord, we are willing. Father, I pray for pastors and leaders tonight that if it means I need to hear your voice again we will turn aside. Father, if I need a revelation of covenant tonight, I will turn aside. I will see it all over again. If I have to see it again, God, it doesn't matter. Just Holy Spirit, please take me into the school and tutor me so that I can pass this thing. Father, I pray you bring encouragement tonight to your leaders. I pray God's strength that comes from covenant. I pray confidence that comes from covenant. I pray assurance that comes from covenant. I pray peace of mind that comes from covenant. I pray God for that strength of finishing faith that comes from covenant. And I pray most of all, we will be holy even as you are holy. And everything we think, everything we do, and everything we say, God, because you are a holy God. Now, if you're a leader, would you turn around and put your hands towards the congregation just for a minute? Father, I pray that the awesome responsibility of leadership would hit us tonight because the standard that we believe in is the standard that people will strive for and the standard that people will live under. So Father, I pray that holiness and a covenant God from our roots, God literally would be established in the hearts of your people as we go after the harvest. I come against every spirit that literally would bring oppression and depression and bring sorrow and pain and affliction. Wherever they're being afflicted in their bodies or in their minds. Oh God, I pray for a delivering God to come tonight because it's harvest time, God. I pray, oh Lord, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good tonight. 
that the salvation of God would come to those who do not know you. You must be born again. Father, for those that are empty, you will fill them with your spirit. For those that are afflicted in their physical bodies, you will heal them. For those that are oppressed by, by God, things that they hope nobody will know about, that are habits and things that do not honor and glorify you, God, would you come tonight and break it by your power and by your authority, O oh God, and by the blood of your covenant, God. Would you set your people free? Father, I thank you because you looked at Moses and said, go and tell them, let my people go. And Father, tonight at harvest time, we declare, let God's people go so we can bring in the harvest of God that will glorify him and honor him. And we thank you for that tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come up here with me.